0: Welcome back to The Canadian Farmer, a podcast for pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, pharmacy students, and healthcare professionals in the North. This podcast reflects my personal opinions, views, and my own interpretation of information, and was prepared in my personal capacity. This podcast does not represent any institution, corporation, association, or society, just me. I cannot believe that this is the fifth podcast, If you're new to The Canadian Farmer, welcome, and if you've been following along, thank you for coming back and for the messages you've sent. I apologize for my voice, there's something brewing, and in case it gets worse, I want to get this podcast recorded. It's also a great time to do it because my boys are asleep, and my husband is at hockey. Today was a snow day, so no school, and everyone is exhausted. What could be more Canadian? Hockey, snowstorms, all I'm missing is a Tim Hortons coffee. So with four podcasts behind us, we've discussed diabetes, neuropathy, therapeutic substitutions, and urinary tract infections, and we're only getting started. There's so many things we could cover, and I'm open to suggestions, so if there's something you need to review on, let me know. Today, let's talk about contraception, with the goal to understand and review the options available in Canada to prevent pregnancy. Let's start off with some important definitions that will come up over and over again, For example, before prescribing any method of contraception, we first must be reasonably certain a woman is not pregnant. How does one determine reasonable certainty? The answer isn't to do a pregnancy test. The clinical definition is a lot different than what the average person might consider as reasonable. In order to be considered reasonably not pregnant, our patient must display no signs or symptoms of pregnancy and at least one of the following she's on days 1 to 7 of a normal cycle she's in within she's within sorry days 1 to 7 after a spontaneous or induced abortion she has not had sex since the start of her last period she has correctly and consistently used reliable birth control she has delivered a baby within the last 4 weeks or She's still breastfeeding, but this only applies if she's less than six months postpartum and is exclusively breastfeeding, or mostly, and hasn't yet had a period. So, if mom had a baby that's more than six months old, or her periods have returned, or she supplements with formula, it is not reasonable to assume she isn't pregnant. Did you get that? I know, I've read it over 50 times now and it's finally starting to set in. It is reasonable to assume one is not pregnant If there are no obvious reasons to assume she is, so signs of pregnancy, and she's either early in her cycle, days one to seven, within a week of a miscarriage or induced abortion, hasn't had sex since her last period, had a baby within the last month, or has a baby that's six months old or less and is breastfeeding at least 85% of the time and hasn't had a period yet. It's a lot to remember, but memorization isn't required. You can write this down or copy it from my Facebook page if you want to, and you always have the option of replaying the podcast at any time. If you're prescribing contraception and need to determine if pregnancy can be ruled out, you may find an assessment tool useful. Often, provincial pharmacy associations will provide algorithms or prescribing checklists, so if you haven't already checked with your association, you really should. It could save you a lot of time and effort. Okay, now what would pharmacy be without some abbreviations? Here's a few to keep in mind for this podcast. The POP or mini pill is a progestin only pill, no estrogen in it. CHC is combined hormonal contraception. This contains both progestin and estrogen and can be in the form of an oral tablet, a patch, or a vaginal ring. An IUD is an intrauterine device, which could be a copper IUD or an LNG IUD, which contains levonorgestrel, one of several types of progestin. For simplicity, we're going to start with the progestin-only pill, also known as the mini pill and the trade name Micronor. There are a few restrictions on who can have it and its use is straightforward, which makes it the perfect place to begin. The mini pill can be used in all ages, requires no tests or exams prior to initiation, and you can go ahead with it even if the patient has other complications that would restrict the use of other methods of contraception like hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, anemia, clotting disorders, or thrombogenic mutations, cervical cancer, intraepithelial neoplasia, STDs, and HIV. All of these are not Roblox for the mighty mini pill. The two contraindications we do need to remember though are diseases of the liver like cirrhosis and current breast cancer. The effectiveness of the POP is the same as combined oral contraceptives too, as long as you take it on time. The POP must be taken at the same time every day as with all oral contraceptives, but the window is much tighter. Consider the dose missed if it's taken more than three hours late. Probably not the best choice for admittedly forgetful women. Although, once you've gotten into the habit of taking the mini pill at the same time every day, you never need to stop. There's no pr- pill-free interval. No breaks, no pauses, no sugar pills. You take it at the same time each day, every day. The other nice thing about progestin only is that the wait time for effectiveness is mini two, just two days. So that means if you've started this pill more than five days after your period, you only require backup contraception for two days before you can count on the mini pill to prevent pregnancy. And if you start the mini pill on days one to five of your cycle, you don't need to worry about backup at all. Since this is one of the preferred methods of oral contraception in postpartum women who also may have not yet had a period at all, They will also be advised to be careful for two days after starting Micronor. Overall, the mini pill has lots of advantages, unless you miss that three-hour window. Ensure your patients know that if they are late with their dose, they should use backup contraception to make sure they don't get pregnant. Now, let's move on to combined hormonal contraception. Dual progestin and estrogen options. Remember, this isn't just birth control pills. It also includes the patch and the vaginal ring. And in this group, there is a lot to consider before initiation. Recall that with the mini-pill, precautions exist for liver disease and active breast cancer. Well, if we want to include estrogen in the mix, there are a lot of other things to screen for. I'm going to list them for you. Liver disease and breast cancer are still included, like with the progestin only, but in addition to the following. Migraines with aura. Hypertension, especially severe readings of 160 over 100 or higher. Ischemic heart disease vascular disease, past or current DVT or thrombogenic mutation, smokers over 35 or those who smoke more than 15 darts a day, complicated diabetes, three to four weeks postpartum because of the risk of thrombosis and up to six weeks after a C-section. There are a lot of considerations and a lot of options. The combined hormonal contraceptives not only include patches and vaginal rings, but a multitude of similarly named oral tablets that I happen to find very overwhelming. Between generic and trade names, it gets confusing. But in essence, they differ in terms of the progestin type and the estrogen strength, which can be given at various doses throughout the cycle. There is more than one type of progestin. Cyproterone is used in Diane 35, and Drosperinone is used in Yaz, and these are known to have a higher risk of venous thromboembolism or stroke, as compared to levonorgestrel and norethindrone. Progestin-only pills, which, have, which we've already covered, are the lowest risk for thrombosis and the first choice in women with risk factors for stroke. If adherence, or lack thereof, is an issue, the next best choice for women with risk factors for thrombosis is is, of course, levonorgestrel or norethindrone. Cyproterone. I hope I'm saying this right, and drosperinone should not be used in this group. And this is how we're going to remember. Okay, picture two women in your mind. One, her name is Diane. And the other, her name is Yasmin. Diane has a swollen leg because of a blood clot. And Yasmin is holding her chest because she has a pulmonary embolism. Because of their history of thrombosis, we know that progestin-only options are preferred and we will not be giving Diane any Diane or Yasmin any Yasmin or Yasmin any Diane or Diane any Yasmin. See? Clear as mud. If we have reason to worry about blood clots, whether it's due to medical history like migraines with aura or history of DVT or because of recent delivery the drug of choice is progestin only. And the second line are combined hormone contraceptives with either levonorgestrel or norethindrone, not cyproterone or drosperinone. In terms of causing venous thromboembolism, the risk with oral contraceptives is low anyway, even less than during pregnancy or postpartum. But the risk is the highest in the first month after starting. So if we decide to give Diane or Yasmin or... Any combined OCP, it's important to counsel on signs of thrombosis and monitor during that first month especially. This also raises the importance of discouraging those pill breaks or a few months off. Restarting the pill after taking a break is also restarting at month 1, which carries the highest risk of VTE. VTE We want to avoid as many month number ones as possible, so advise patients not to take time off if they anticipate restarting the pill anyway. There is no need for a break, in fact, extended or even continuous use doesn't differ in effectiveness or safety from a 28-day cycle. And while we're myth-busting, there is also no difference in headaches, breast tenderness, mood changes, nausea or rate of bleeding when the estrogen dose is increased or the type of progestin is changed. Now let's get back to contraindications for estrogen-containing contraception. We went through the list of medical considerations, but there are other things to think about besides comorbidities. Smoking also raises the risk of blood clots, which is also higher in the postpartum period. Next, before going ahead with s- combined hormone contraception and If otherwise healthy, it's important to think about age, acne, and migraines. Until menopause, which is usually before age 55, a non-smoker can use hormonal contraception. So don't think twice about dispensing birth control to a healthy 55-year-old woman without contraindications. As they say, there may be snow on the roof, but there's still a hot fire inside. (laughs) Okay, but if the individual smokes and is over 35 years old... Estrogen containing contraception is not recommended. There is still potential risk for smokers under 35, but the advantages of hormonal contraception usually outweigh the risk. If acne is an existing issue, there are options that carry an indication for acne only and also happen to prevent pregnancy as well, although this shouldn't be the primary reason for prescribing. Diane and Syestra contain the antiandrogen progestin called cyproterone, in in addition to ethanol estradiol and they are indicated for acne only. We talked about cyproterone before and that it should not be used in women with risk factors for blood clots. Remember your pals Yasmin and Diane. These are not good options in the presence of liver disease and breast cancer, migraines with aura, hypertension, especially severe, 160 over 100 ischemic heart disease, vascular disease, past or current DVT, thrombogenic mutations, smokers over 35, or those who smoke more than 15 cigarettes a day, complicated diabetes, 3-4 to four weeks postpartum because of risk of thrombosis, and up to 6 weeks after a C-section. Other CHC, like Aless, Allicina, Avn have also been shown to improve complexion, but are indicated primarily to prevent pregnancy. To be clear... This means that Diane and Cyrestra should be prescribed for acne as the indication, with a potential added bonus of contraception. And alas, Alcina, Evian, and all the others do not contain ciproterone or Drosperinone. They are indicated to prevent pregnancy with the added bonus of improving complexion. Let's take a break from me drowning you in information. Let's try another approach. Question and answer, true and false. This way, we can cover the main points more concisely, and then after you listen to the podcast once, you could replay it and see if you remember the answers. Who knew birth control could lead to so much fun? Like learning, like not fun. Anyway, let's just start. So true or false, combined hormonal contraceptives, including the oral pill, are 100% effective with perfect use. That's a piece of cake. It's not true. In fact, failure rates are up to 9%, meaning up to 9 out of 100 women will become pregnant within the first year. Not perfect. The next one, true or false? Combined oral contraceptive pills can decrease bleeding, decrease acne, decrease endometriosis symptoms, and decrease risk of ovarian and endometrial cancer. This one's true. Although contraception should be the primary indication, these are other perks. True or false? In obese women, the combined oral contraceptive pill may not be as effective. This one's controversial, but most studies show no difference in overweight women, so go ahead. True or false? A blood pressure reading is the only test needed before starting combined hormonal contraception in otherwise healthy women. True. There is no need for stirrups in your private counseling room. All you need is a blood pressure cuff. True or false? Starting combined oral contraceptive, pills, or other combined hormonal contraception should always be on the first Sunday of the month at dusk. This one's false. You can start any time at any point in your cycle as long as you are reasonably unpregnant. True or false? If you don't start the CHC on the first Sunday of the month at dusk, there is a higher risk of spotting and other side effects. Again, this one is false. Spotting and breakthrough bleeding are common for the first three months of treatment, regardless if you use the quick start, quick start method, which means you start the day of the office visit or not. Okay, true or false. Ovulation almost never occurs after seven consecutive days of combined hormonal contraception use, but is possible if there is a hormone-free gap during the first or third week of the cycle. For example, missing a pill or being a day late inserting a new vaginal ring. True. Remember the rule of seven. True or false, if you miss one dose of combined hormonal contraception, but use a backup method of contraception like a condom, Emergency contraception, like Plan B, is not required. That's true. True or false? The contraceptive patch might not be as effective in women more than 90 kilograms. True. Recall, weight isn't considered a factor for combined hormonal contraception in the form of oral pills, but for the patch, obesity may decrease effectiveness. Okay, how about this one? The contraceptive patch is known for more breast discomfort, nausea and vomiting, and dysmenorrhea. Unfortunately, this one is true, but the patch does have less breakthrough bleeding. One more to go. True or false, a blood pressure reading is required before prescribing progestin only or combined hormonal contraception. This was a trick. You need to assess blood pressure prior to initiating estrogen-containing products because of the increased risk of venous embolism but not for progestin-only pills. They can be prescribed in all ages without any prerequisites. (laughs) Okay, how did you do? It's a lot of information, isn't it? And that's okay. This is just an introduction. We will keep going with contraception in the next podcast and revisit some of this information and integrate new material as well. We covered a lot today. But before we wrap up, let's discuss something other than therapeutics. Sorry. Let's talk about ethics around contraception. The College of Pharmacists of Nova Scotia outline the obligations of pharmacists when prescribing contraception, including the responsibility of the pharmacist to be aware of the conditions when a person under 18 years old can consent to sexual activity. There are instances when individuals under the age of 18 cannot consent to sexual activity, including vaginal and oral sex and this is based on both their age and the age of their partner. The Criminal Code of Canada defines the following for consent. If the younger partner's age is under 12 years old, consent is not possible. If the younger partner is between 12 and 13, consent is allowed if the older partner is less than two years older than the younger partner. So for a 12 year old, and a 14-year-old. That would be okay. If they're 14 to 15 years old, the older partner is less than 5 years older than the younger partner. So only a 5-year gap if they're between 14 and 15 years old. If they're between 16 and 18 years old, the older partner can be any age, but not in a position of trust. For example, a teacher or a coach. And if they're 18 years or older, the older partner can be any age. All of this information can be found on the government website, and I will list the link with my other references. It's also important that in an instance when responsible consent cannot be established, which we just went over, there is an obligation to report sexual abuse, and failure to do so is a criminal offense. It's heavy. You know I can't say goodbye now. Things just got way too real. So how about we close with a joke instead of legal legal obligations to report sexual abuse? Okay? So Mrs. McGillicuddy, a senior citizen, arrives at her local pharmacy (laughs) and asks her pharmacist if indeed pharmacists are now able to prescribe birth control pills. The pharmacist explains that yes, the authority to prescribe contraception is within the pharmacist's scope of practice. Wonderful, says Mrs. McGillicuddy. "'I'd like some, please.' The pharmacist, now a bit puzzled, invites the elderly lady to speak in private, and they proceed to the private counselling room together. "'Mrs. McGillicuddy,' says the pharmacist, "'you're 75 years old. "'Why do you suppose you need birth control pills?' "'It's simple,' she says. "'It helps me sleep.' The pharmacist, now more confused, reluctantly goes ahead and asks, "'How would birth control improve your sleep?' To which the old lady replies, I put them in my granddaughter's orange juice and I sleep better at night. (laughs) Okay, farmers, that's enough for today. I hope you can enjoy, you can join me and enjoy the podcast again next time. Thank you so much for listening and for putting up with this rotten voice. I hope you have a fantastic week and I hope you come back soon. Bye.